0: Peace be with you. It's good to be here this morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Marshall Dallas. I'm the uh, lead pastor over at Sojourn Montrose, your your sister church. Which, if you didn't know about that, now you do. Um, I'm I'm happy to be here. I uh, came uh, started coming to Sojourn really uh, sort of right after it, it launched back in 2010, and uh, just through the Lord's providence, uh, He He called me out to to plant a church, and so this this vision that uh, that Matt was talking about, to, to plant more churches all throughout the city um, is, is something that we not only hope to do, but that is being done, right, by by God's grace. And so um, I'm thankful for, for your generosity, just wanted to say that we, we certainly exist in part because of that, and so um, would urge you to, to continue in that manner. If you're a new uh, guest this morning, we're, we're glad that you're here with us Would highly encourage you to take any one of those steps into community that Matt just told us about. Um, Ultimately, we really do believe that the church is a people to belong to, not an event to attend um, or just to be present at. And so, um, would love for you to to join us in that um, in whatever way seems most comfortable for you. Um, With that said, we are in the middle of our Advent sermon series in which really, Um, What we're doing, if you don't know what what Advent is, essentially it's a a season um, in the church calendar in which we both look back and and celebrate the fact that the Lord Jesus did indeed come, but we also look forward and anticipate the reality, the truth, that He will indeed return again, and that that is good news for us, and that is something that we should patiently and yet eagerly await His coming, and so um, I'm very excited to be in Isaiah chapter 40 with you this morning. Um, If you don't mind, let me say a a brief word of prayer uh, for my own sake. I know we just shared one, but um, I'm going to be a little bit selfish in that. Father God, we thank you for, again, just the opportunity to gather together. We thank you, Lord, that um, you are here with us. Lord, that you really and truly are Emmanuel. And so, God, I, I just pray this morning, God, that that you would be who we are meeting with, not not Lord, just with with words on an iPad screen or uh, or or just hearing me talk, God, but that you would that you would be here, that your Spirit would give us eyes to see, ears to hear the good news that is in Christ Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, last week I don't know uh, you know what what y'all's sermon looked like, but we talked about hope. I think that was kind of the general theme and. I think what we saw in that was was some tension, right? We were in Isaiah 64 and what we saw was Isaiah really lamenting over the state of the people of Israel and and what we see him asking the Lord to do is to make all things new. Right? Like like God, would you just come would you fix this mess? Would you just come and and start like let's start over from scratch. Let's wipe the whiteboard clean and begin again. And yet, what Isaiah is incredibly aware of is that for the Lord to do such a thing, He will have to, by necessity, deal with the sins of His people. Right? So so it's not just come and deal with all of the problems that are outside of us, it's deal with everything and that includes us. And so what Isaiah knew was that, look, there's this tension between God making all things new and then dealing with the sins of the people. And so he, he sort of petitions the Lord in what would seem to be a, a contradictory manner, right? And that he's like, God, make all things new, but deal mercifully with your people. And I think there's some tension there that, that we as Christians are called to live in. And I think this, this morning we're going to sense that tension as well in that there is a great already truth. To what we read this morning, but there's also a great not yet and that we're still waiting for its final and most glorious fulfillment this morning And so m- my hope is that as we walk through this, this text that we would just that we would allow for the the truth to settle in that much of what we hope for in this text is is just not quite there yet. And much of what has been promised to us in this text is just not quite there yet. So, this week we're talking about peace. And let, let me give you some context, because Isaiah, I think, is a, a pretty difficult book. You could pick it up, and, and if you started in, in any random place, it could get fairly, fairly confusing, and And really all it is, Isaiah is just a prophet, right? He speaks on behalf of God to the people of Israel. And really the first 39 chapters of the book are are all about just sort of God's just judgment over the people of Israel. Right? And for us to really get a sense of of where we're at, we would have to read those. And I'm not going to do that for you because 39 chapters in Isaiah is a lot. But if you were just to read through even just the first chapter, where Isaiah talks about the desolation that Israel is in because of her sin, because of her iniquity, because they had forsaken their God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And yet, where we find ourselves in the text now is at this this beautiful turning point in which we have seen now the the just reason for God's judgment over the people of Israel, and yet, what he's going to begin proclaiming now is a message of, restoration a message that that something some way somehow is going to change and that the lord is going to both do it and be responsible for it but i think there's there's two things that this text after having read it this with you this morning sort of calls us to answer and that's this number one has god forsaken his people Because again, you've got 39 chapters of essentially God giving reason as to why that would be okay. And then the second question, can God's people trust him to deliver them from both the situation of exile and the inherent hardship of exile? And so these are valid questions that God could justly forsake them for their sins and that He is also in no way obligated to deliver them, right? So there's a a certain amount of torment in this question because I think if we know ourselves and if we're honest, there is much in us that is similar. But there is much in us, as Paul in Romans chapter 7 would say, that calls out for condemnation. I think we can begin to ask ourselves the same questions that these people are asking themselves here, right? Has God forsaken us? I mean, just, let's just look around for a moment. You know, there's this, there's this text in uh, the New Testament that talks about the people of God sort of being led all day as lambs unto the slaughter. And at this moment in our culture and in our cultural narrative, it's quite simple, quite easy to see that we are increasingly, more and more, not only being pushed to the margins of society, but are even in some ways being asked to remove ourselves from it completely. We hear all kinds of statistics about churches closing their doors at rapid rates. We, we see the liberalization of Christianity not just convoluting and perverting the true gospel, right? but actually completely substituting it. In fact, taking away the beauty of its infinite exclusivity in Christ and its infinite inclusivity in the cross. Are we not beset on all sides? And I don't think we even have to look to just the the instances that we see this in the church to to find this if we just look at culture in general does it not feel do you not feel i don't know about you but over the past couple of weeks i've just felt a weight. whether it's things that are happening with regards to racial tension whether it's things that are happening in sort of the the geopolitical landscape whatever it may be right i don't know about you but just lately i felt like there's a lot of bad news And so, I guess since we talked about hope last week, my question would be, is our hope in any way founded? Or are we just sort of playing some game where, where we kind of appease our, our conscience? We sort of calm ourselves down, talk ourselves off the ledge. Is Christianity just that, that crutch that we sort of lean on for help in time of need? Or is it real and is it true? And is there hope for peace? Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2 say this Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. That's good news. Comfort comfort my people says your god so here's the thing right 39 chapters and really the whole rest of the old testament that shows us the sin the depravity the the just complete imbalance in the relationship between god and his people god lays out a case for their just judgment all throughout the the, the book of isaiah and the old testament and here he says comfort comfort who my people My people. That in spite of all of that, that in spite of that extensive record, that God still looks and says, you're mine. You're My people. And then He goes on to say this. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. So here's what happens. God calls them My people in spite of their legitimate fears that He both could and probably should disassociate from them, and then He goes on to promise them what? That their warfare is ended. Here's the thing. We're, we're reading prophetic literature, and so at this, at this moment in time in history, what we find out is that that really Israel is, is in exile, right? That they're captive. They're captive to another nation in Babylon. And so it's, how, how are we going to reconcile those two things? Because what we see written here is in present tense, is it not? Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And I think there there might be some confusion maybe about the last portion of that verse, and I just want to explain it a little bit. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Is that double punishment? No, it's it's double grace. And we'll we'll talk about how we reconcile that in just a moment. But so where peace and unrest ruled, where just judgment was deserved. God speaks. He says, comfort, comfort my people. But here's the thing. Peace is not simply the, the absence of conflict. And so when we talk about being a people who uh, unite around peace, who hope and long for peace, and who see the fulfillment of great peace coming in Christ, let's take a look at what that might possibly and I would say surely look like. Verses 3-5 through read like this. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I think there's some some things that we see here that, um, if we dig a little bit deeper, are are, are fair and valid to, to take from it. And that's, again, that peace is not simply the absence of conflict. I would contend that That the peace that we long for, and the the peace that I think is universally longed for, I'll I'll talk about what that means in just a second, is one that is holistic. And I believe that there's, there's really three different levels on which we see that longing take place. And that although, right, our culture upholds relativity, that this is something that we all experience. That in the room this morning, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, that you long for a holistic peace that includes peace with God. Whether you affirm that, that he's there or not. Peace with yourself. And then peace with others. We're going we're to talk about, really I think we can acknowledge that there's satisfaction. The satisfaction of those three things can be met in different ways but the experience is universal. What we're going to do is take a look at God's Word and see or really try to discern where it is that the Lord would have us find peace in those things. So verse 3 tells us that in the wilderness we prepare the way for the Lord. That God not only would speak from a distance through his prophet, comfort, comfort to my people, but that he would say, prepare a highway in the wilderness for the Lord, what we begin to see is that he is coming to us. That peace with God is not established by us making our way to Him by us trudging through the valleys and the mountains and the hardships of life in such a way that is good and honorable enough that we might arrive in His presence acceptable before Him. You and I are in the wilderness. I think that's why we, we feel that weight, And yet, what this voice we don't know who it is but what this voice in Isaiah cries is that the lord is making a highway we are preparing the way for the lord and he is going to come to us in the wilderness that he's going to come and meet us where we are so the next the next thing that we see is all, all this sort of talk of topography right Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. Now, here's what I don't want you to do is is go left behind on me. I want you to realize that this is not this is not a, top, a topographical reference. But that this is but that this is interpersonal. Right? That in in order for God to to give us peace with him, peace with ourselves and peace with others, he is by necessity, one, going to have to come to us, and then two, He's going to have to change the moral and relational landscape in such a way that we can actually begin to see one another. And so what, what the prophet here is, is referencing, is telling us about, is about a disruptive advance of a salvation that is coming that will both lift and lower and level and smooth everything that needs to be lifted lowered and leveled in order that we might be made whole. So here's here's what's happening. here's what's going to happen the Lord is going to establish peace and he's going to give it to us in in a way that is holistic he's already spoken that that to his people he is going to deliver comfort you can you can substitute peace there and I think be fairly faithful that he's going to establish that by the work of his hand, that he's going to come and with us, right? He's going to he's going to level. It. Maybe you've got a pride issue. He's going to bring that down. Maybe you're downtrodden, you're depressed. He's going to bring that up. He's going to put us all right where we're supposed to be. He's going to make level all of that ground in order that we can have peace with God, peace with ourselves, and that when those two things happen... then then we'll experience the peace with others that we so desperately long for. Both in the church and in the world. Because what you'll notice is at the end of verse 5, it says that all flesh, all flesh shall, shall see it together. So we've got this We've got this beautiful sort of picture that, that Isaiah is painting for us of a, of a people who, although sinful and although broken, the Lord has said, comfort, comfort, I'm coming to you. There's a highway. Prepare the way. I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level everything out. I'm going to make everything right. There's a peace that is coming. And I don't know about you, but but in me, one not only does that create Create some longing, but it also makes me wonder how do I how do I have peace today? Like God, I know, I know there's a brilliant and beautiful future. But what is this, what does it look like today? Can I just get, can I just have a little bit of that now? Can we can we fast forward? Is that is that a thing? Have you ever did you ever see that horrible movie Click? It was, it was awful. Anyway, so I don't know why I referenced it, but anyway, it would be cool, right? In that you could just just click the button. Like, can we just can we get there already? Will you come? Will you just will you do the leveling work that you're going to do? Will you finish that highway? Will, will you arrive at us with us in the wilderness, please? I mean, even in, even in the church, right? Like I, like, I I've been planting a church for a year now, and and um as glorious as it's been i don't know that peace would be the characterizing word right like even like even in this redeemed people even in this this people who have been bought by grace, right? Through faith, not of works, so that none can boast. Even in that sphere, we're still sort of warring with, dealing with the unevenness of our interpersonal relationships, the fact that some of us are in mountains, some of us are in, are in valleys, some of us are just all over that sort of spectrum. What does it look like for us to have peace today? Here's the thing I... I think that there's there's really two two places that we can seek peace for today, right? And it's it's gonna be fairly obvious and, it's, and maybe even it's a little bit of a generalization, but it's either in it's either in God or ourselves, right? It's kind of one or the other. And, and and what what the prophet's gonna do next in these in these coming verses is show us what happens when we choose to put our hope in ourselves. Verse 6 reads like this, A voice says, Cry! And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all of its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God Will stand forever. You see, the, the problem with humanity is that we only flourish under ideal conditions. And and the problem with that is that the I- ideal conditions that we have we ruined. So what we can be certain of from this text is that no matter how hard we strive, no matter how hard we rage against the dying of the light. Our flourishing will elude us. The flourishing of hope, the flourishing of peace, those things will, by necessity, elude us because all flesh is like grass that withers when the Lord blows upon it. Beautiful thing that we find in Scripture is that. by grace this god that is proclaiming to us comfort that is proclaiming to us peace also tends the lilies of the field and so the the answer to this question will will god or has god forsaken us and will he at any time at some point deliver us from both the situation of exile and the hardship of exile is going to be answered for us in the next portion. Verses 9-11, through 11, Go on up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend to His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms and He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So, the answer to that question of has God forsaken us? Will He deliver us from both the situation and the hardship of exile is, yes, he will deliver us. No, he has not forsaken us. Here's what I I would want for us to do, right? I think oftentimes uh, w- when someone gets up to teach, uh, there's kind of a, uh, maybe maybe a, an overly zealous, or, or maybe just a desire on on our part as as preachers to be sort of um, novel or um, particularly insightful, right? Tell us, tell us what to do, right? Tell me, tell me, sort of how to how to manage this, how to work inside of this. What is what does this mean? Where, right? And what I want us to do just for a moment is just. Take a deep breath and just settle ourselves. Settle ourselves in, in the truth, the good news that comfort, comfort has been given to us in Christ. Right. So all of this, all of this sort of speak, I just put yourself in this time and you're sort of reading this and you're thinking, man, like, what does this mean? It would seem very cryptic. And yet what we see later on, because we have the fullness of the word of God, is that he himself is our peace. That when Jesus came, that he made peace for us by the blood of his cross, right? A peace with God in that we now no longer have to come before him in shame, putting on, still wear clothes, but I'm talking garden here, right? We no longer have to hide in shame of our nakedness before the Lord, but we can come before him with all of our sin, with all all that we are that is imperfect, that is not good, and we can trust that through Christ's blood, there is peace established with God. You know, you know what that does, oddly enough? Is that gives us the truest sense of peace with ourselves because we have been restored to that identity which we were always created to bear. That that image of God that was bestowed upon us at creation, that we were purposed to live in and for His glory, is now able to be restored in that in Christ we are one with Christ that his ministry we share that his family heritage and inheritance we have acquired through his blood right we can begin to walk with some peace with some sense of identity with some understanding that no I am not perfect and yet by God's grace I will be made perfect And then finally in Christ, we can have true, real, lasting peace with one another. Because what we begin to recognize, as Philippians 2 tells us, it's not really about us, is it? That we are then freed up because we are so confident in our peace with God, that we're so confident in our peace with our understanding of who we are in light of what God has done for us in Christ, that we can now operate with one another in such a way that it is free from vain contempt that it's free from our selfishness that we are freed to count ourselves less significant for the sake of others and that as the church begins to understand that she really and truly does have peace with God peace with with sort of the individual and peace with one another that we can then walk out into our world as agents of peace for the sake of reconciliation that people might begin to see the glory and the goodness of God our father because the truth is that all all flesh will see it when the time comes so here's what i want to do i don't want to give us anything to do right we could we could talk for at length about What it looks like to be an agent of peace in your city. And yet I think what is most appropriate during this season is for us to rest in the simple fact that this is true. That Jesus in his first coming secured for us peace. Which is why we can read this in the present tense and we can know that yes, indeed, our warfare is ended. That our iniquities are pardoned. That we have received double for all of our sins. Not double justice, but double grace. Because God enacted His justice upon Jesus for us. So, in spite of all the difficulty and the unrest that we experience and that we can tangibly see around us in the world, I truly believe this morning, brothers and sisters, that Christianity is not fundamentally challenge you hear that the Christianity is not fundamentally challenged it is fundamentally assurance isn't that good like that and look I don't I don't want to negate anything right like the the Bible tells us to to pick up our cross to follow Jesus that's going to be difficult that it's going to set us at odds with people probably even people that we love, and yet the fundamental message of Christianity is not challenge, it's assurance. It's that we, at one time, were children of wrath, directly disobedient to God the Father. Justly underneath His judgment, but God being rich in mercy made us alive in christ and that he has extended to us that grace through faith both of which are a gift not attained by works so that none of us can boast like brothers and sisters we can rest in that this morning and so we we not only have the hope of joy eternal but we can look forward to the current peace that we have in that truth and look forward to the great peace which will be established on that day with and through the might of the Lord himself we can say with great confidence behold our God there is a sense brothers and sisters this morning in which we like Peter ask the Lord why? And yet, with, with peace in our hearts, we can trust Him when He says, what I am doing, you do not understand. But afterward, you will understand. And so, brothers and sisters, we, much like the people of Israel in this text, are sojourners. We are exiles. In a strange and foreign land we are in the wilderness and yet brothers and sisters through the gospel of jesus we can prepare the way for the lord knowing that he will come and he will meet us there and he will establish his perfect peace let me pray father god we thank you for this morning lord we thank you for the opportunity to gather together Lord, you're good and you are generous to us. And we thank you, God, that we can gather in light of the hope that we have in Christ. We can gather, Lord, expectant of the peace that comes through Christ. Lord, would you, would you lend that to us this morning? And Lord, would you begin even now? Would you help us to begin even now, Lord, paving the way for your return? Lord, would we step into those broken systems, God? And would we extend peace in the name of Jesus. And Lord, would we be so foolish as to believe that true, everlasting, good, glorious peace comes from You and You alone? And would would we without fear, God, proclaim that good news of the Gospel? Knowing, God, that, that at some point all flesh will see it. And And there will be no doubt, there will be no doubt as to who is God, and there will be no doubt as to what he has done, and there will be no doubt as to his goodness, as to his justice, as to his mercy. And God, I thank you that we can find peace for today in that glorious coming. Lord, that Jesus is our hope. The invisible God made visible. The Holy Spirit then being given as a deposit of our full assurance that we are in Christ Jesus, adopted into the family of God, sons, daughters of your kingdom, Lord. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.